Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's brand new episode of the Eurotrip podcast. The world's favorite, of course, I know you know that, Eurovision podcast. And yes, we will say those exact words in a few minutes' time when we get into the episode properly. Anyway, I am Rob, as ever, joined by Mr. James Rowe. James, how are you? Really good. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. Where have you been? That makes it sound like you've been somewhere exciting. No, I just mean back on the podcast again. We were we were with you twice last week, weren't you? So, um, yeah, I'm just glad to be back. I think it's only going to be once this week. No bonus episode, just the one regular episode. So glad to be back for this one. You'd, I always feel like we shouldn't promise that we won't be back again because you never know what might happen. <laughs> you never know what might happen. However, at the time of recording, we expect this to be your only edition. Uh, should we kick things off with a Twitter DM? I said on last week's show how excited I got by Twitter DMs. Oh, yes. Have you? Ha- well, have we received one? Have you received one? Uh, we have, we have, which already gives away who is more vigilant with our <laughs> Twitter inbox. Uh, we received a message on Sunday from Jack. Jack, thank you for messaging. And Jack said, and I think this is interesting, maybe you guys should do a segment on ESC 250. Would be interested to hear your votes, some submissions, and your reasons. What do you think about that? Interesting. Funnily enough, I was thinking about ESC 250 at the weekend and I was trying to figure out how or what I would include in my list because we both took part in Aussie Vision's um, national final countdown, no, which did, was hard, yeah. which was as, as hard enough. But I was thinking, what could we do about ES 250? So there you go. Jack, was it Jack? Thanks for getting in touch. Maybe we could. Yeah, maybe we could do something with that. Although you say that you think yours will be quite difficult to do, is yours not exclusively going to be French Eurovision entries? Is that well, all it's going to be? No, well, I was trying to think what I could do differently. And then I was thinking, why don't we do songs exclusively before the year 2000? Just to have a real challenge on our hands. <laughs> 
what in the in the true sense of of the Eurotrip rewind. Yes, exactly. It makes sense. Maybe we can mull that Maybe. over. Maybe. Yeah, we'll come back to that. But thank you, Jack. Thank you very much for your message. But for now, should we do it? It's time for the Eurotrip. As you know, Lassandra always said, take it away. For me, Eurovision is much more than just a job, but it's part of me. Giannis, let me say, we were your first ever Eurovision interview way back in January. <laughs> I remember! So, Gisli Baltarsson, Iceland's commentator, welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much, and thank you for the Eurotrip. I've been listening to you. Being face to face, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, your beautiful face. <laughs> I was like, but it is cute. beautiful as well, though. We were talking on the phone. Yes. Do you want to have a hug? Yes, please. Yeah, that would be great. Cornelia Jacobs, congratulations. Thank you. Give me a hug. Hi there. My name is Martin Ostendahl. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And this week, we are rewinding back to the year 2004 terrifying but 2004 is 18 years ago can you get your head around that for a start <laughs> honestly i was wondering what you're going to say there it doesn't feel like it does it how old were you in 2004 rob in 2004 i was 11 years old wow wow so a long time ago now that we know that <laughs> who do you think you are ulrika johnson a long time ago was it <laughs> This is a really interesting year for us to rewind to. We've had two great ones so far, 1998 uh, and 1980. But this is our first one in the new millennium, the 2000s. It's the first time that, spoiler alert, Ukraine won the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, Eurovision also went through a bit of a rebrand. It went through a bit of a rebirth. So we're going to be looking at Ukraine's win, looking at the new feel and new look of Eurovision and listening to some of the songs and some of the stories that go along with them as well. Can't believe you've given away that spoiler already. Honestly, honestly. But yeah, a really historic Eurovision Song Contest. Also loads going on politically at the time as well. So really interesting to talk Istanbul 2004 on Rewind on this episode. And James, he's back. After that incredibly popular bonus episode on Friday, we've got an extra dose of Lee Smithurst on the show. Yeah, saved a little slice of Lee from last week and saved it for this week as we uh, look ahead to Eurovision 2023. He'll be giving us the inside scoop on how the preparations are going for the BBC for next year's contest. Very exciting to hear more from Lee. We know how much you love hearing from him here on the Eurotrip. You're listening on Acast, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. Here we go then, episode three of the Eurotrip for the 2023 season of the Eurovision Song Contest. Very, very exciting indeed. Last week was an exciting week as well, wasn't it? We, Rob, I think we promised a couple of things on last week's podcast and I don't think either of them we are going to fulfil. <sighs> yeah, I thought we'd we'd get the disappointment in early, shall we, on this week's episode? We promised you Cece, did we not, who is a friend of the podcast, uh, formerly on SD Lau, and we promised, oh, maybe we'll give her a call. Anyway, uh, I think it's safe to say neither of us have actually reached out to her yet, have we? We sort of split some of our contacts, don't we? And Cece is definitely one of yours. I don't want to pass the blame, but I feel like that was definitely your responsibility. Yeah, that is fair. Uh, Cece is a Facebook friend, actually. I think she still is. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll hop on there and uh, I will reach out and see if we can get her on the podcast. Uh, James, just very quickly before you allude to the other thing that we promised... 
Um, one of the other other things that we've been promising to do is to unmask Luna Ferrari. Do you remember that? Oh yes, we've not chatted about this. Have you um, have you progressed in your investigations? So Luna Ferrari features on Subwoofer's new song "Howling." We think Luna Ferrari is Alexandra Rotan from Kano. No, I have not progressed on my investigations, although I kind of have. Uh, basically, um, just to let you know, I've emailed Alexandra from Kano. <laughs> Are you expecting a reply? I, well, am I expecting a reply? Maybe not. Uh, it does mean that either she will reply and we'll finally have an answer, or she'll reply and she won't tell us anyway, or if Kaino are doing Melody Grand Prix in Norway, which we think they might be, uh, we're definitely never going to get another interview with Kaino because she's going to think that I'm an absolute lunatic. <laughs> oh, well, keep us updated on that one. The the other thing, of course, you promised last week, uh, again, I'm passing the blame, you promised that we'd speak to some people. Um, no, who was it individually? I think you wanted to speak to the person who used to have Gina G as the landlord. Was that right? Yeah, it's a long story, right? We were talking about the... 1998 contest a couple of weeks ago and then Richard got in touch and Richard said that actually as much as he enjoyed the 98 contest he probably got into Eurovision in 96 and the reason he got into Eurovision in 96 was of course Gina G and then he went on to tell us that Gina G was once his best friend's landlord so we said let's get that friend on however that has not yet happened however we did get an incredible idea from that which was let's try and find out what weird sort of encounters you've had with Eurovision artists and we have got a bucket load of replies James we're going to get to yours in a minute because yours <laughs> is honestly such a roller coaster just go through a few of these now uh, Richard tweeted us I was staying at the Globin Hotel connected to the Globin Arena for ESC 2016 which already what a brilliant place to stop like mm. that's minimal steps every day Oh, I mean, ideal. If you if you can't sleep on the stage, then at least at least stay in that hotel right next door. <laughs> anyway, uh, Richard's encounter comes here. He says, "I was in my room and I had a knock at the door. It was Ivan from Belarus who was lost <laughs> trying to find the rehearsal room." <laughs> you are not wrong, Richard. He was very, very, very lost. Uh, another one from Dean. I enjoy this one because it features food. Uh, bumped into Bonnie Tyler at a restaurant opening night in Cardiff. She had to slide past my table. She looked at my plate and said, All right, love. Oh, pulled pork. That's my Bonnie Tyler impression. Uh, my brain was racing to find a funny innuendo reply. But all I could muster was, thank you. <laughs> a wasted opportunity. That was a wasted opportunity, Dean. And hopefully Bonnie was listening and maybe she uh, maybe she heard, heard my impression over there. And uh, just one more from Christy, who said, and this is linked to uh, what we were saying earlier on about your friends of mine, Subwoofer and Luna Ferrari. Uh, Christy says, once had to help. At, she says, ah, Subwoofer. Does that mean one of the wolves, maybe? Uh, use a chip and pin card machine. Guess they don't have that technology on the moon. Maybe not. Yeah. Shout out Christy, by the way. She um, she was part of the Newcastle bid team for, for Eurovision 2023. Oh, I did think she was a new person who cropped up recently. It's one of yours, is she? Yeah, one of my. Well, I have a good authority. She's been a, a listener for a long time. But maybe she just said that. I'll let her off. Her. Yeah. Um, you said that I had a great story as well. Uh, it's not a personal story, but a tweet that I found who, who um, somebody got in touch, Pete. Uh, he says, this is a tedious link with an encounter. <laughs> 
<laughs> you're laughing also, you also by the way when he says tedious link i think he means tenuous link but anyway um you're laughing already because you know what it is it says but i used to play hockey with the barrister who prosecuted Gemma from gemini for benefit fraud <laughs> <laughs> whose husband had a business partner a business partner rather whose wife was a nurse i worked with <laughs> but Having now listened to that back again, surely we only need the first half of the tweet. Read the first half of the tweet again. Who, uh, I used to play hockey with the barrister who prosecuted Gemini from Gemini for benefit fraud. Right, surely, it can, surely it can just stop there. Yeah, but then it's whose husband had a business partner <laughs> whose wife was a nurse I worked with. Yeah, well, well I don't understand. Yeah, the rest of it is irrelevant, isn't it? Really? <laughs> I mean, thanks, oh. Pete. Honestly, thanks for getting in touch because it's a great story. But yeah, I can't fathom what the rest of that sentence has to do with you, Richard. It wasn't necessary, was it? And at the start of today's episode, I didn't think that we'd end up talking about Gemma from Gemini and benefit fraud. And I also forgot that one of Gemini was called Gemma, which now makes a lot of sense. Oh, anyway, honestly, so many of you got in touch with that. You can read a few more over on our Twitter, at Eurotrip Podcast, because we've retweeted a good few of them, so you can all have a laugh. And yeah, a huge thank you to all of you who got in touch. It's time then for all of the latest Eurovision news. It's November, Rob. It was starting to get a little bit busy last week. How about seven days on? Is it still as busy? It is getting busier. It is definitely getting busier. And I will promise to try and concentrate on the news rather than try and comprehend Pete's tenuous link to Gemma from Gemini and hockey and barrister and whatever else it was. But yeah, incredible. Uh, Yes, it is getting busier. We have had some very exciting news from Belgium. Now, you may have heard on the grapevine that a national final is returning for Belgium for Eurovision 2023. It is the obviously titled Eurosong 2023. And we have now got the list of competing acts. Now, I'm going to pick one of them out because you will have seen one half of them on the Eurovision stage before. Uh, They are the Starlings, and the Starlings are made up of... Tom Dice. So great to see him back, hoping to represent Belgium at Eurovision again this next this next year. You know what I mean. <laughs> Over in Ukraine, the three Vidbeer jury members have been determined. Now they were picked by a public vote, and they are Taras Topolya, Julia Senina, and of course Ukraine's 2016 winner, Jamala. We'll be talking about Ukraine's wins at the Eurovision Song Contest a little bit later on in the episode. Over in Spain, if you are planning on heading there for Benidorm Fest, tickets are on sale now. Now, of course, there are three shows that you can buy tickets for. They are the first semi-final on the 31st of January, the second semi-final on the 2nd of Feb, or the grand final on the 4th of February. Over in the Czech Republic, the Czech broadcaster have opened submissions for their national selection show. So that is the return of ESCZ. More details of the national selection will be released in due course. I've assumed, though, it's the return of ESCZ. They've not actually said it is, but they are holding a national final in some form. Of course, last year they picked Friends of the Podcast. We are Domi. And finally, over in Estonia, we've got the second set of competing artists in this year's Esti Laul. 
They include Bedwetters, you heard me right, with their song Monsters, and Inga with Awaiting You. Exciting stuff, by the sounds of things. Yeah, I don't know why I picked Inga out. I don't know who Inga is, but uh, but I picked him out. Uh, they definitely they're, did they're... Lowell in the past, actually. I'm pretty sure. Inga? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Without a shadow Inga. of a doubt. Are you sure? Without a shadow of a doubt, is that's confident from you. I'm, I'm rolling with it, Bob. But it's, it's a confident day. I'm, I'm going to roll okay. with it. Okay, you, you, you carry on. Uh, I, I will indeed. Uh, can I do a few more tweets? Only because uh, it's going to link to the thing we're going to do next, which is speak again to Lee Smithurst, who for Eurovision 2023 is going to be the head of show. We'll be chatting to him about how the preparations are going, maybe a little bit about the artist selection in a moment. But of course, we brought you that long extended chat with Lee in his role and capacity of Head of Delegation for Junior Eurovision. Of course, the BBC are taking part for the first ever time in Yerevan next month. And the reaction to that interview was uh, really, really good. <laughs> Could have come up with a better phrase than really, really good. Uh, one, of, uh, one, of, <laughs> one of our biggest episodes ever, I believe. It was indeed. So thank you, everybody who has been listening and getting in touch. Uh, Let me read out some of your tweets. Eleanor got in touch. Thanks, Eleanor. Saying, the light in a week where all I've done is feel poorly uh, has been hearing Lee Smithurst on the Euro trip. Uh, So, so happy to have a man that just gets Eurovision in such an important role within our delegation. Well, Thanks, Eleanor, for listening. And yeah, we're, we're, I think we're, we're proud in a way, Rob, to, to give Eleanor that little bit of light for, for her very uh, poorly week that she had last week. We, we are. Uh, can you please say the word poorly for me again? Poorly? Oh, yeah. Anyway, not, that, <laughs> not that we want Eleanor to be poorly. you say there. Poorly. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, at least it meant that I got to hear you say that. Oh, well, there you go. Um, let me read out another one. Liv got in touch as well saying, I love, love, she says, <laughs> Lee Smithers. It's so refreshing to hear someone who in the UK delegation is so motivated and dedicated to giving everything they have to Eurovision. Such a great podcast episode. Thank you. Well, thank you, Liv. Yeah, that's very nice, isn't it? Now, you've been a cheeky little scamp. And you kept some of that interview back, did you not? I did indeed. I was a little bit cheeky because Lee said, I can't really talk about 2023 um, when I was organising the interview. And then when I got on the call with him, I said to him, go on, Lee, let's chat a bit about 2023. And he went, oh, go on then. You've twisted my arm, James. So so at the end of the chat about Junior, we snuck in a few questions about the preparations for Eurovision 2023. He is the head of show. And this is what happened when I caught up with him last week. So if we talk about 2023, Lee, I know you're going to be very tight-lipped, but I'm going to see what I can get out of you because I know loads of people listening are desperate to know. First of all, congratulations on the new role because normally we see you as the series producer. This year, or for 2023, you're going to be the the head of show. For people who don't know, what on earth does that mean? (laughs) So head of show um, essentially means I'm across all the editorial and creative for the three live shows. So that is... um, the openings, the intervals, the presenters, the scripting, the on-screen graphics, the music. Um, what else is there? A lot. <laughs> a lot. It's a long but, list, Lee. It's an incredible, uh, the voting, uh, the, it's an incredible creative job, which is the, you know, if I could choose a job, it would have been head of show because that's what I do on my other TV shows outside of Eurovision. I'm excited to see what we could do. And obviously, we've got the honour of hosting on behalf of Ukraine. So it's going to be a different contest all round because obviously there'll be 
Um, Ukraine reflected in lots of the content, as will Liverpool, which has got such a huge musical heritage. So there's lots of exciting things that we can put in this show. Um, and I just want to try and create that feeling that we had in the UK around the Olympics, where you feel proud of something that you, you can see that reflects your country and also just the production values of a BBC entertainment spectacle, which we, you know, not to put any pressure on ourselves, but the, the team that are assembled around this is people that are right at the top of their game and have done, you know, Martin Green, who's our managing director, who was um, who did the ceremonies, master of ceremonies for the Olympics, and um, James O'Brien, who's like knows everything about production. He's done all the, he did the Olympics too, and he's done um, the EMAs. So it's a really great team. And it's just trying to utilize everyone's skills as, as best we can. But we're behind, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it must be a privilege, but also, is it a huge, not, I don't want to say stress, but knowing that you are going to be doing this as a BBC production, but then also knowing constantly that you are having to reflect a whole different country in the production. We've never seen this before, have we? It must be a difficult balance. No, so, but the good thing is, having never seen it before because it hasn't happened, there is no, you know, there's no structure to that. So we can decide, and with our colleagues at uh, UAPBC, that they can also consult on what this show is, like what what does what do these shows look like? And then, obviously, there's going to be a whole other aspect of uh, 2023 that people are looking at: the artist, the song. We, we already know we've got some confirmation out there about the, the partnership with TAP, which is continuing, which you must be over the moon about. I presume, is that going to be a f- fairly quiet for the next few months while, while we get Junior Eurovision out of the way and all that sort of thing? Is that working away in the background? Yeah, that's working away. And obviously, um, at TAP, having done it last year, know exactly what to expect now and the timeline and what they need to get in place. So that is just, as you can imagine, they're searching for songs and artists and sort of putting all that together and finding the best the best option for next year because Sam is a hard act to follow it's like how do you follow Sam and also the added pressure of it's going to be in front of a home crowd too so they've sort of got a harder job in a way last year was hard (laughs) because the job was right we need to get on the other side of the scoreboard and it has to be someone who's guaranteed to do that no taking chances whereas this year it's almost harder in a way because you've got Sam as a benchmark and it's like how do you improve on sam or you know you can only go once one spot better and that's that's to win um but i i think it's more than that it's it's more and we i think we spoke about this before for me it's more like the dutch model of we just need to be back and credible which is i think what we've managed to do with sam and hopefully i think i hope that people feel the same about freya and lose my head sort of the result is not irrelevant we have to do well but all you can do is put what you believe is a really credible artist and song together. Because as you know, that's what that's what people want. They want to know that you're putting in a, a song that could be for any big pop star, that could be a big, big hit and in the charts. And I think that's all you can really try and do. I wish you the best of luck. And thanks again for coming to chat with us here on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks so much. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you aren't listening, find us on social media. Add Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And now, James, I'm feeling a little bit sad because that might be the last time we hear from Lee Smithurst on the podcast for a little while. We've been lucky. We've had two doses of Smithurst within less than seven days. And now we might have to wait a little while until we hear from him again. Yeah, double dose of Smithurst. And we also got that single dose of uh, Rachel Ashdown a couple of weeks ago as well. So maybe maybe we've saturated the BBC pot <laughs> on on the podcast so maybe we need to take a step back from the bbc for a couple of weeks or who knows we'll, we'll bring you a bonus about something or other in the next few weeks oh, i'm sure we will i'm <laughs> sure we will oh but no thank you for bringing us that and thank you for uh for twisting lee's arm and asking him some more questions about 2023 some really interesting stuff in there and yeah you can read more of what lee had to tell us about 2023 and also just what he was saying about trying to encapsulate that atmosphere and joy around London 2012 and bringing that to the UK when Eurovision's on next year. So if you want to read more about that, you can do so. You can head over to eurotrippodcast.com. That's right. Go and check that out for sure. But now it's time for us to celebrate a very iconic year in Eurovision history. Yeah, we are turning the clock back to 2004. It's time to rewind. Yeah, it's week three of six of Rewind. We have reached the halfway mark of this mini-series we are bringing you, where we rewind the clock and look at an iconic Eurovision Song Contest. Maybe it's one you've seen before, maybe it's one you've you've never even watched, but we're going to find out some stories, chat to some people who were there, listen to some of the songs, and just take you under the skin of the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, I didn't enjoy Under the Skin of the... Oh, <laughs> that wasn't enjoyable. Yet yeah, we have specially hand-picked the editions of the contest that we are covering in, as James put it, this little mini-series here on Rewind. So, so far, we kicked off with the last time the UK hosted a contest in 1998. We then went all the way back to the last time the winners didn't host. So that was the contest in 1980. We did that last week. And now, of course, there is a very special reason which we will come to for why we are rewinding the clock to 2004. Yeah, I've already given that away in the intro, haven't I? Why we're doing that? But, but we'll we'll rule with it, and we'll 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 not say any more. So, uh, before we get into it, let's have a look at what the world looked like ahead of the contest. We're going to be focusing on, of course, 2004. Uh, Tony Blair was celebrating seven years in Number Ten Downing Street as British Prime Minister. Uh, Eamon. Uh, with I Don't Want You Back was at number one in the UK charts. <laughs> you can hear Rob laughing. Honestly, that's a song I have no recollection of whatsoever. Yeah, uh, I I, uh, I went back and had a listen. And honestly, never heard of it in my life. No, I, I'd love to know if you have. If you're listening going, ah, one of my favourite songs ever, please let me know. Um, and also, a fortnight before the contest actually took place, the EU had grown in size, with 10 new countries joining the Union. And today marks a new beginning for Europeans. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge the many millions of people across Europe for whom this day, the 1st of May 2004, 
is a day of hope and opportunity. To the people of Europe who are joining us today in the European Union, I extend the hand of friendship. It was your democratic choice and your own efforts that made this day happen. Now, in the world of Eurovision, much like the EU, the contest was evolving in 2004. The branding, which we know and love, was launched. Digame had come on board to manage the voting. There were four new countries making their debut. And as presenter Meltem Chumbel explains, the show had become that little bit bigger. 2004 is a groundbreaking year in the history of the Eurovision. We're broadcasting this outstanding music festival over two evenings for the first time with the semi-final tonight and the final this Saturday. That's right. As a record 36 countries had entered the competition in 2004, the EBU needed a way of whittling them all down for the grand final. So the first official Eurovision semi-final took place on the Wednesday night in Istanbul. Now, the so-called Big Four, the hosts Turkey and the nine other top performing countries from the previous year all got a direct ticket to the grand final, which left 22 countries, big old semi-final, vying for just 10 other spots in that live show on the Saturday night. I'd love to put you on the spot for this, but I'm going to read them out anyway on your behalf, Rob. Uh, the countries that qualified to the final were Ukraine, Greece, Cyprus, the Netherlands, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Malta, Croatia, Macedonia, as well as Serbia and Montenegro and Albania, who were both making their Eurovision debut. Now, a year ago here on the Eurotrip, I was lucky enough to chat to the former BBC Eurovision commentator Paddy O'Connell as part of the contest and me. And here he is recalling some of his favourite moments from that contest in 2004. I was propelled with the Eurovision caravan to Istanbul in 2004. Lorraine Kelly was booked to be the main star attraction and it was my job to be a sort of geek in a box and just make a few kind of points that might be of interest. Lorraine's plane was delayed so I presented the first semi-final all on my own. They were fabulous hosts. I had not been to Turkey before and the Turkish people welcomed us with open arms on the streets, in the hotels. And also Eurovision would supply as a local host who would therefore either be or speak Turkish. In our case, some fabulous young, bright musical students, Turk Istanbul residents. They just looked after us as part of volunteering for Eurovision. So it was fabulous fun. The Euroclub was in my, the bottom of my hotel. And I just spent my entire time dancing to Eurovision songs, either with Lorraine Kelly or the Irish act from that year, or the impossibly beautiful Yonsi from Iceland, and the amazing Andy Knoll, the commentator from Austria, who became my lifelong friend, alongside Alexander Radic, head of delegation for Slovenia. And my eyes were opened to this international festival, which had only been ever been portrayed as one night of television. So I learned so much and I was, my eyes were opened and I arrived in my hotel room to the sound of explosive sex. And I spent the entire week we were there desperate to know which artist it was who had this marathon sex session next to my room on the day I arrived. And I finally found out who it was and it was a honeymooning couple from Hull. <laughs> Honestly, what an iconic story from Paddy O'Connell. Just that end. You have no idea where that's going to end, do you, when you start to talk about the Euro Club and his hotel, and he talks about that 
Well, I don't want to repeat the phrase that he said, but yeah. It's all right, James. You're an adult. You can say rampant sex on the podcast. Yeah, Yeah, but it's just, I just didn't want to repeat it. You just didn't expect that's where the story would go, did you? (laughs) No, that is very true. But love that story from Paddy. There's so much stuff in there as well. Also, like Lorraine Kelly's delayed plane. So much in there. There's always a great story when it comes to the Eurovision Song Contest. Anyway, I'm going to move on from Paddy O'Connell, just so you can get that image out of your head. Uh, um, Is it because you don't want me to say rampant sex again? Oh, please don't. (laughs) Let me move on. (laughs) Um, Eurovision takes a lot of planning, as we know. Rampant Uh, sex. (laughs) Oh, it's going to haunt my nightmares. Um, That's going to haunt my nightmares. I regret (laughs) doing that completely. Sorry, everybody. It's staying in. I'm editing it. It's staying in. Um, Much. What am I talking about? The planning, aren't I? The... um, Eurovision 2004, rewind. Yes, loads of the Eurovision planning uh, comes in the form of rehearsals. That's where we are. Um, Rehearsals for, who is it? Artists, presenters, stagehands, for everybody. But it seems that in 2004, not everybody really got that memo. Now here comes, and you won't expect to hear from this person on this edition of Rewind, but you are. Uh, This is Seat Sabaka, uh, executive producer of the 2020 and 2021 Eurovision Song Contests. Uh, He has spoken to us at length for a future episode. You can probably guess what year he was talking about in that initial chat. But he was also at the contest in 2004. He was on site in Istanbul after setting up the fan website ESC Today. And here is one particular moment that he still remembers today. There was one delegation i think it was made up of 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 people who had never been to the song contest and um and i recall we were there at the rehearsals at the time the first rehearsals were open to press and and it was their time and they didn't show up um uh, no one to be found and i saw swanta stockselius the executive supervisor at the time he was sort of getting you know more more grumpy and um Later on, he told me that he he actually made a call to the head of delegation. He said, "Where where are you? You know, you're you're supposed to start your rehearsal." And they said, "Oh no, Mr. Stoxelius, don't worry. Uh, we already rehearsed at home, so we don't need to rehearse anymore." So that in their perception, they thought, "Oh, you know, this rehearsal is there for us, and we don't need the rehearsal time. We we don't want to we don't want to waste your time." And they didn't realize the rehearsal was not just for them, but also for you know the, the the entire production crew. I love the sheer confidence of whoever this is, and I am a little bit resentful that uh, Sitsa didn't tell us which country it was. Which does mean that we can just keep guessing. Uh, I feel like you pressed stop on the recording and he whispered it to you. Do you actually? He know didn't. He didn't. I wish he did, but he didn't. Oh, we'll have to find that out at some point. Uh, now, on to the grand final. The random draw at the time meant Spain performed first, but only after the previous years when a Sirtab had performed. Now, for me, personally, these few minutes are my first ever experience of Eurovision. I've told this story before. My parents were having a dinner party. They had some friends over. One of the friends was like, oh, Eurovision's on tonight. Can we watch it? My parents, not huge fans of the contest, safe to say. But they regretfully put it on the telly and I've been hooked ever since. And this was the first thing I saw was the opening of Eurovision 2004. And honestly, this excitement, the bars, it just gets me every time. Here is just some of what was shown on BBC One at the start of the programme. This is the place, the Abdi Pekchi Hall here in downtown Istanbul. And a nice quiet crowd have come in. 
There's a fantastic, riotous atmosphere here. 7,000 packed into this hall, flags of all nations flying. How this Eurovision Song Contest is grown. James Fox will be doing us proud with Hold On To Our Love. Or oh, my name's not Suleiman the Magnificent. And no, it's not Miss Saigon. And as a measure of how important the Turks are taking this contest, the Prime Minister, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, is here and will be presenting the Grand Concours at the end of this thrilling contest. It's all a bit too much. All this panoply and excitement by way of introducing last year's Eurovision winner for Turkey, Sertar Berener, with the nosegay of Turkish delights. She's almost dressed by Sher. Let the night of the spangled posing pouch begin. Yeah, that sounds so, so good, doesn't it? There's always that moment, isn't there, where you hear the start of a contest and it just sort of gives you that buzz, those butterflies, that you kind of know it's all starting, doesn't it? And it really felt like, and obviously I didn't realise this at the time with it being the first one that I'd ever seen, but now looking back, and we've already mentioned it, you know, 2004 really felt like a real shift for Eurovision, maybe in the same way that sort of 2021 and 2022 have been, but it really felt like things were getting bigger and more exciting and more countries were joining. And and as an 11-year-old with a kind of love of all things sort of politics and geography, that makes me sound like the world's dullest 11-year-old. <laughs> but honestly, I just remember I could not get enough. Now, onto the songs then. As you heard Terry Wogan say, James Fox was representing the UK, hoping to improve on their... Uh, Null point showing in Riga the previous year. We'll get to him in a minute, but first at song five, a very memorable debut for Serbia and Montenegro and their entry sung by Jelko Joksemovic. <laughs> Now, Jelko is easily one of the biggest stars in the Balkans, and he, of course, would go on to host the contest when it was held in Belgrade four years later. And he'd then come back again four years after that when he'd represent Serbia in Baku in 2012. He's like a leap year, isn't he, Jelko? <laughs> He's coming around every four years at that rate. We're, we're, we're overdue another Jelko, uh, aren't we? <laughs> it's like a, like a solar eclipse, maybe. Um, Serbian broadcaster RTS and Montenegrin broadcaster RTCG each conducted separate selections in 2004 in order to select the 24 entries to proceed to their national final. Uh, also in that national final was Yugoslavia's last ever Eurovision act, Extra Nina, who represented the country in Malmo in Sweden in 1992. Now, we will come on to song 10 later on. I think you probably know why. James has already spoiled it. But a quick word for song 16. Now, performing for Greece that night was Sakis Ruvas. Now, let's have a quick blast of his entry that night. Shake It, which it's fair to say went down pretty well in the arena. Shake, 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 shake,
God, it really did go down well in the arena. That crowd, blimey. Big deal, isn't he, old Sackis? Yeah. Big deal. Just a bit, just a bit. Uh, should we move forward, or fast forward, uh, to song number 20? Because in a favourable slot was Fame Academy star James Fox and his song, Hold On To Our Love. In a moment, we'll hear what he told us about his memories from the time in Istanbul. But first, here's his entry. I always say it's the best week of my life, man. I would do it again and have sort of been uh, tentatively knocking the, uh, the door with various song selections in, in, you know, in years after that. I know I think the occasion can uh, can be a bit much for some people. It's you know, so it's a big TV audience. I kind of understand now what I maybe could have done better or could you know? It's just one of those things. I loved it so much, the whole experience and represent the country. I said, like as you asked before, I was very proud because I'd done sort of these big, nothing to that scale, but these big sort of TV shows prior to that. I was sort of match fit, as it were. So I was very much able to take it all in as much as you can take that idea of that many people watching you at the same time. In I just really enjoyed it. I was very present, and even during the the actual song. I could look around and saw the Welsh flags and the Union Jack flags. I was very much, okay, I remember this because this is a, this is a, a big moment because maybe in the past I was like a rabbit in the headlights on various TV shows at the start. But um, yeah, I absolutely loved it and took it all in from uh, the minute you get off the plane to the hundreds of press conferences and parties that you're invited to. You know, I was very, very present. It's a proper kind of get your lighter in the air wave it from side to side i say as a man currently going from side to side as maybe you can maybe you can hear that uh, and also a man that doesn't own a lighter so i never would but <laughs> it's that sort of song isn't it james fox there for the united kingdom and when we get to the voting of course the uk they don't feature too heavily in the scoring but so nice to hear james fox's memories and i think it's safe to say isn't it james that he James Rowe, not Fox, James on the <laughs> podcast, you know what I mean? Uh, safe to say that he still kind of looks back fondly on his Eurovision experience, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I remember having that pleasure of, of sitting down with him and chatting to him and he was so open. You know, we know a lot of UK Eurovision acts kind of shun it and put it to one side, but he, he clearly loved his time there and really looks back with positive memories, which is always great to hear. It it really, really is. And like I said, that is despite the fact that the UK didn't feature too heavily in the scoring. Uh, he did, though, receive scores from 10 of the countries voting, which, when you put it like that, doesn't sound too bad. Uh, he finished in 16th place, but an improvement, of course, on the previous year. And finally, the songs we're going to focus on and listen to and chat about, uh, a real fan favourite from the night. Before we hear it, here is BBC's commentator Paddy O'Connell again. Lisa Andrews singing for Cyprus. She was a schoolgirl from Kent, and I cried on television. This is a contest that should be for young people. 
by young people with some moments where old people come on and fall over their pants or something like that. I don't know. I haven't quite decided. Or host it very well or commentate on it very well. She was 16 and she just sung this beautiful song and I was commentating and my voice cracked off the back. Then that, that for me was a, was a standout moment. There she was, the Kent schoolgirl who represented Cyprus and, as we will hear shortly, gave them a brilliant result at the contest in 2004. Now, on to the voting. And after a tense finish the previous year, we had a very historic moment in Eurovision history for one particular nation. And bizarrely, it was them who cast the final votes of the night. Interesting. Yeah, Ukraine gave their 12 points to the eventual runners-up. We mentioned them earlier, Serbia and Montenegro, which left Ukraine to win the contest for the very first time. But let's not be ungallant. Let's hear it for Zina, Warrior Princess, and the return of leather. Looking back now on everything we know that's happened between now and then, a really historic moment for Ukraine. We'll talk about it again in just a little while. But first, shall we tie up some loose ends when it comes to the voting? Behind Ukraine and Serbia and Montenegro in second uh, were Greece with Sakis Ruvas in third. Hosts Turkey came fourth. And then, as we just mentioned, Kent schoolgirl Lisa Andreas came in fifth. But here is Sitsabaka again, because he shared his memories with me of that momentous win for Ukraine. Uh, I knew at the time that Ukraine, that they, they sort of set out this strategy of, you know, participating in 2003, uh, winning in 2004, and then hosting it in 2005, which at the time uh, looked a bit, uh, you know, ambitious to, to do that all in three years. But to see them actually pulling that off uh, was quite extraordinary to, uh, uh, to see. So that for me were the most memorable moments in uh, in 2004. Yeah, such a huge story that, isn't it? You know, they came in with that three-point plan and clearly nailed it to absolute perfection. It really, really was. Yeah, you mentioned the plan there. It's absolutely incredible. The, the brilliant Paul Jordan, who is an expert on Eurovision, we've had him on the podcast, of course, you've seen him on TV, radio, all over. But he is an expert in not just Eurovision, but particularly Ukraine at the contest. And he explains so brilliantly in his university thesis, that's how he became Dr. Eurovision, how the Ukrainian marketing agency, CFC Consulting, were instrumental in persuading the Ukrainian broadcaster at the time to start showing and participating in the competition. Um, We mentioned the three-point plan there. Seats mentioned it. You know, they were going to compete, then they were going to win it, and then they were going to host it. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, honestly, unfathomable now, isn't it? I don't think any country could sort of get on board and and execute that again. They, of course, found Ruslana in the second year they participated with the aim of winning and then hosting the contest next year or the following year in Kiev in 2005. And... We know they did do that. The rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, 12 months later, the Eurovision world would come to Ukraine, to Kiev, just months after the Orange Revolution showed a country looking for closer ties with Western Europe. And in that time, Ruslana gave up singing full-time and became a politician in her country too. Honestly, what can you say about that? Crazy. What a crazy story. Um, It would only be right then, wouldn't it, to uh, finish off by hearing that year's winner, Ruslana and Wild Dancers. (laughs) 
Like what you're hearing? Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening. So that is it for another edition of Rewind. As James said earlier, that is Rewind number three of the series, done and dusted. And we've got another three more for you between now and Christmas. So another iconic Eurovision year on the way next week. Indeed, three good ones to come over the next three weeks. Rob says that's enough of Rewind for the week, but we've still got a tiny bit more of this week's podcast to bring you, of course. It's the one second song. Uh, Rob, I think it is 4-1 to you currently. We've done two weeks of this already. I think it's 4-1. It is, it is, which does mean, of course, that you could, with a full house, take the lead. Of course, on the one second song, there are four points on offer. We are looking for the name of the song... The name of the artist, the country they were representing, and the year in which the song was performed. James, are you ready? Indeed I am. Let's have a listen then for the first time this week. Here is this week's One Second Song. Oh, that's tough. That's tough, Rob. That's very tough. It's always tough. It is always tough. And it's not always tough, actually. That's not true. I got a full house last week, didn't I? Yeah, that is tough. Let me hear it one more time because, honestly, I'm stumped. That is honestly, that is tough. Is that tough or is it tough? It's tough. I thought I was playing the one second song with a horse for a second there. <laughs> uh, it is tough. It is tough. But, you know, there are no easy points on the one second song. That's what they say, isn't it? Yeah, I think they do say that. Apart from last week, I, I, I'm honestly clueless. I'm going to have to give you another wild guess again. I'm going to say Poland 2005. <laughs> it was a soloist called. Marco, just singularly Marco, right. and the song was Keep My Dreams Alive. Nice, nice. That, that sounds sound plausible. Like some... sounds it does, plausible. it does, it does, it does. It's not though, but it does. Uh, no points, I'm afraid. Oh, honestly, that was tough. Tell me what it was, because I'm it curious. It was tough. I think you're going to kick yourself. And I think people who are listening will know this. I think the listeners at home or wherever they are, maybe they're walking the dog, maybe you're doing the dishes. Maybe you're like James's nan and you're doing the ironing. Uh, <laughs> I think they will have got this one. Uh, so, James, we are going to 2012. Ah. It is Spain 2012. Ah. It is Pastora Sala with Cuarte ah. Conmigo. Perdón si no supe decir que lo eras todo para mí. Perdón por eso. Whoops, <laughs> I really should have got that one, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, I think you should. Now, I have sort of brought back the tenuous link 
to this week's episode on the One Second Song this week. Have you brought that back from last series? Um, how on earth does that link to this? No idea. Well, I wanted to bring it back because I know that your brother absolutely hates the tenuous <laughs> link uh, between the One Second Song and the episode. Uh, so, of course, James, uh, the rewind this week was what? 2004. The song contest that year was hosted in where? Turkey. Right, so Turkey's last entry into the Eurovision Song Contest to date came in... 2012. Correct. Now, also, as an aside, Turkey had a horrible running order slot in 2012. Uh, they came in, They came immediately after Euphoria and Sweden. Yeah, or they still came seventh, so well done them. Uh, but immediately after Turkey in 2012 was song number 19 for Spain. It was Pastora Soler with Quadrate Comigo. Uh, she came tenth. Yeah, honestly, I'm, I'm kicking myself now. I really should have got that one. I imagine most people at home got that. So apologies. Don't strip my Eurovision expertise credentials away they from might. me just because of that. I think they might. They might. They might. Uh, which means no points for me. So I think it still stands at 4-1, which means next week you will have a chance to extend your lead. Uh, are you listening and have you got some more points than us? Hopefully you've got some more points than us. Uh, we are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and hello at EurotripPodcast.com. On the email, we love it when you get in touch about anything and everything to do with Eurovision, to do with the podcast. Um, have we got a call out? What are we looking for for, for next week, Rob? What we can sort of tenuously uh, or tediously promise? What was the best thing you had for your dinner this week? Don't say that, Rob. No Go way. Unless, on. unless you're what sitting What was the and best having... thing you had for your dinner this week? Unless you have had lunch with Toto Cotunio, then I don't <laughs> want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have, get in touch. I've just read out all the details. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'll be back with you again in seven days' time. I promise it'll be seven. There'll be no bonus this week, I'm afraid to say. But we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. You don't know. Episode. You don't. You don't know. Loads of people might get in touch with what they have for dinner. We might have to make it into a whole episode in itself. <laughs> so we'll be back at some point anyway but over the next seven days so in the meantime make sure you subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars from me james it's goodbye honestly please please let us know at your trip podcast uh sorry uh from me rob it's goodbye four new countries made their debut and as presenter mehmet chublum explains the show had become that little bit bigger <laughs> You'll definitely have to do that presenter again. <laughs> yeah, not what did I call them? <laughs> Chumble. <laughs> so what is it? Chumble. Yeah, mel- Meltem Chumble. Meltem. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Meltem Chumble. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.